Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. As disaster responders, we find and endorse those products that we know will help you out in the field. If you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. Hey guys, this starts part two of Joe's episode. You heard part one last week where we introduced some of his background about, uh, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing and 9-11 and some of those big uh, events that he's been to. And we're going to be using all those experiences and talking about more and how to apply that to the first responder and into operations. So make sure you put check out part one from last week. Part two starts right now. Which which event not impacted you, but like like most lessons learned in a positive way. You're like, oh, okay. Like now, like I re- can still remember which event I walked away and I was like, now I got it. I know that I know this job. Is there any is there any event that you were like, okay, I'm awesome at this job? Um, man, every one of them have been different. Absolutely different. They sure have. Uh, the events have been. Like you said, the difference between a wildfire fire and an, and a hurricane, mm-hmm. completely night and day. Um, the after effects of ground zero, uh, the survivors weren't there. Um, the impact of uh, the disaster itself and the searching um, that we did for days and days and days upon end to try and find those survivors, they weren't there. Um, uh, what we did able to do is the closure of uh, being able to find and assist, of course, with uh, their blessing, uh, was FDNY uh, firefighters and uh, New York City uh, uh, police officers, uh, which was a, a, a different experience uh, of why we were there. Uh, that wasn't our calling. That wasn't really what we were there. But now we were met with now trying to bring out our own uh brothers dressed fully dressed in uniform um mm. still had the boots still have a helmet uh still have a holster still have a gun um and, and being able to have that closure with those uh, individuals and then stepping back and allowing those units to make the decision on whether they wanted you there or they wanted they wanted you to help them which was usually the case to be able to remove um one of their uh working partners that were there yeah, we, um, um, I remember the first time, is it, it's in Fredericksburg, like the FEMA campus where they have the, that uh, memorial stood up for, um, putting the flag back up. And I remember thinking, 
because I had just been to New York as well, actually for a job interview and going over to the memorial site and um, just thinking like, you're pulling out your brothers. Like you're not just, you're not, I mean, it's one thing I hate to say it like this. It's one thing to pull out a stranger. It's a, it's a whole yeah. nother level when you have to, you know, pull one of your brothers out. Um, yeah. That's a big deal. This is, this is a heavy topic, man. We get, you're like the coolest yeah. guy in the world. Like uh, you've totally, been to, totally, changes, totally changes everything. And, and, and it's so hard to put those disasters, i.e. the, the, the Caribbean market in Haiti. Um, were, there were victims uh, that were still entombed uh, within a, a collapsed structure. Uh, it really wasn't an explosion, as we saw back at the Oklahoma City bombing, and an explosion of a collapse that we saw at the World Trade Center. Uh, mm-hmm. The amount of material that was in the World Trade Center, I'll send you some information on that, was phenomenal. The amount of diesel fuel and paints, et cetera, that were just in those two buildings. Because of the generators, yeah. Sure, Absolutely. And in Haiti, um, the engineers and, and the thinking was, uh, after meeting with the owner of the Caribbean market, he had a lot of security cameras because they had a lot of uh, thief, uh, stealing within that market. And so he had them in every corner. When the earthquake happened, one of the engineers wanted those tapes to come back and review because what we were able to capture was where we found the, the boy and the, and the girl they were near the canned vegetable corn and peas. And there was another couple over by the frozen meats. And there was some other people by the bread. So as the rescuers were breaching the different areas and looking with cameras, when you found those particular items, you knew there was somebody nearby. Mm. Whether they were still alive or not, we had cap- they were captured on the camera at that point in time right there in that area. So it was a, an interesting component to try and to um, get to, to those victims. Yeah, Sure. Sure. Here's a weird question for you. This is like the weird question episode, the intense question episode. When the freezers start to melt, like when there's a collapse in Haiti in the supermarket and you have all the the meat uh, out there, um, bone, was, is there ever a moment of confusion? Are you able to tell like something pretty quickly? You're like, Oh, that's good. That's a steak versus, you know, that's a femur. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, are asking this uh, because it's a learning it's a learning point in what we do because we also are involved with having to take care of the canines and i.e. some of our training goes oh, hand man. in hand. The canines, there's yeah. A, a, yeah, and so those there's a very large disaster training center here in this country, not to mention the name and the people that run it um, weren't from the disaster response arena. And so they were trying to have this large exercise that we were part of, and they wanted canines there. And so their plan was to take T-shirts and let the workers wear these T-shirts and clothes and then take them off of them and put them in different areas so that the dogs would, would look for them. And what we tried to explain to them is that these dogs are so highly trained that they know the difference between a refrigerator that's upside down in Hurricane Katrina has been there for five days and or a deceased person and or just a T-shirt and a pair of underwears that are soiled. Mm-hmm. They're, look, they're, they're taught to find that beating heart and the smell of that person. I.e. at the World Trade Center, we didn't have cadaver dogs. And uh, the search dogs we saw were sometimes even psychologically affected 
um, circling the area where the deceased smell was coming from, uh, crying, uh, whimpering, uh, confused. And it opened the eyes of FEMA and the response system for the need for cadaver dogs. Um, and the, the Onslow mudslides uh, was a big area where they were used out by you uh, for the first time and trying to, to bring that back. And so um, that's Washington the, for those people who don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. No, no, you're yeah, good. Well, sorry. Just didn't there, inter- yeah. interrupt, but, yeah. but it, it's very interesting on, uh, on that component itself for us. Um, just like in, in being a firefighter paramedic and running daily calls, um, you've learned how to work around odors and smells with Vicks vapor rub in your nose or mm. something else that you might be trying to change that. Um, but, Vicks vapor. I haven't heard that one. I've heard a lot of different ideas, but I haven't heard that one before. That's smart. I mean, so powerful. That smell is so powerful. <laughs> the Hispanics call it Viva Paru. So Vicks Vapor Rub, um, usually if you put it on your mask on the inside, it doesn't irritate your, your mucous membrane so bad. And uh, uh, Smart. Yeah, you can get by some odors. And uh, visuals don't bother me. Odors sometimes do. Um, and some people are able to uh, people carry a, a small space blanket or some type of a aluminum blanket to put over the top of a, a, a body parts just because having to crawl through those confined space areas, they've got to get through that. Yeah. And then also, if you're in another country, i.e. Haiti, or even here, um, do I have the authority, the legality, both morally and ethically, to dismember or remove someone to get to someone else? Mm. And so questions again to be asked. That's interesting. I wouldn't think, uh, I haven't thought about the thought process of the legality of trying to remove individuals or parts of individuals in order to get to, I mean, we always talk about like life-saving, life-sustaining, like boom, boom, like just go. Um, But there's definitely, I mean, on the service level, emergency response feels kind of, uh, when you talk to people who don't really know what it is, they, they, it's kind of high level, right? Like, oh, firefighters go out to fires. They don't realize it's like paramedic, mostly paramedic work. And, you know, they think of police officers mostly now as crowd control. They don't really understand, like, all the domestic stuff that they had to deal with. And I think the same thing happens with search and rescue. You really just think of, like, uh, at least of what I've been told, is like running through a field and grabbing somebody or, like, quickly, which is not what you're showing us now, quickly going to a building really quick and trying to pull somebody out who might be kind of stuck, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, that's not really the case. The, the reality is this, there's a, the complexity is very high. Um, that's, man, there's like so many questions I have for you now that spurred off this conversation alone. Uh, we're definitely having you back on if you're, if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, in terms of like a of an international response, because you know working out with working with Haiti, which was in partnership with FEMA, I get that. Uh, versus the the U.S. response, are there pros and cons that you find within the U.S. response that you think okay, like we could adapt something from international, or do you think that we're kind of that that platinum standard that other people should? I mean, we're we're pretty awesome, but you know, you know what sure. I mean. Like, there's always lessons learned. How can we become better? There are great uh, professionals across the spectrum uh, internationally. I've had the pleasure of, of teaching um, medics and, and physicians from 30 different countries, different uh, you, uh, 
different response agencies in what's called INSERAG, which is the National Response Plan, and the the FEMA USA. This is the international plan, which is INSERAG. And they have been sending their medical personnel uh, to the United States for training for the medical team specialist course that we deliver here in the United States, usually at one of the facilities, disaster facilities. And we get to hear back um, back and forth what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. Um, they are becoming more aggressive, i.e. as the U.S. Um, what we have found out that our medical component of the search and rescue team has become as aggressive as our military medical component in an austere environment. We can't fly our guys out. We can't get them to a hospital. We're going to do everything right here. And so instead of bringing me your injured, which is still kind of much an international model, the medics and the physicians don't usually crawl under right behind the rescuers uh, into the entrapment, into the confined space. Uh, they weren't trained up to that level yet. And so many of them are coming up to that standard. Um, we had two teams in the Caribbean market along with our team in Haiti. Um, whether it was due to um, uh, fear of aftershocks that were going on constantly, have not having uh, high technical equipment, i.e. search cameras, uh, canines, advanced medical care, structural engineers. But those two teams that were there, one prior to us and left the day we got there, and another international team that got there the same day we did, left a day before we left, none of them found any alive survivors. Uh, one of them found one dead and the other one found five dead. Um, our U.S. team came out with 15 more dead and five alive. Um, within that same building. So I don't know if it was the aggressiveness. I was very proud to see that the demographics didn't change their mentality of saying, I'm not going to risk limb over life because I'm in another country Mm. and I'm helping another individual outside of our norm. And so that kind of didn't exist. And it it showed in their uh, response capabilities of what they were doing. I remember a picture of one of uh, several of the rescue guys setting up struts support teams inside the Caribbean market to keep that floor from falling on this floor, which was going to fall on the next floor. Mm. And they were in a little cubby hole and they had so many of these struts set up. They were so tired. They all fell asleep and they were sleeping next to their. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least they held it up for themselves. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so interesting. Yeah, that's like the weird scenes you don't really ever think about. Um, you know, like just the exhaustion hitting. Um, we we lost a we lost a firefighter um, in the Mendocino complex because he was driving back after you know fighting fires all day, the wildfires, and just fell asleep at the wheel, drove right off a cliff, and you're like, man, like. Out of all, you're like, that's, that's just, that talks about like the worst lesson learned of like your, you, your adrenaline can only take you so far. Like you need, you need rest and you know, you can't save somebody else's life if you're dead. And, um, you know, sometimes as you, you know, going back to, um, I believe your son, um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sometimes you do save a lot of lives by doing that, but hopefully that's not required. Um, how? What? Well, can I ask you what your son? What was your son's name? My son's name was uh, Jonathan James Hernandez. He was a sergeant. Did he go by John or Jonathan? He went by uh, JJ. He went by JJ. Okay. Yeah. That's a new Jonathan one. James. That uh, was his nickname, Jonathan uh, James. Jonathan James. I have a brother-in-law who I'm uh, good, great friends with. Uh, he's His name is Jonathan, and my full name is John, but he refuses to go by Jonathan. He goes by John. And I'm like, uh-huh. but I'm John. You should call. <laughs> so every time they say John, I know most of the time they're talking to him, but I still say what out of spite. Like, no, we're talking to him. Okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that because my name's John. What? Are you going to have a son? Uh, we, we have a son. We're going to have a girl. Yeah. You're going to have a girl. Hey, yeah. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. That is, that is your gold sword. You know, this response stuff and firefighting stuff and emergency man, this is just our silver sword and how we, how we get those little picture, little pieces of paper with pictures of presidents on there so we can buy things. But <laughs> that, that the important stuff is what you got there making it, uh, making it right there at home. I, I, I agree with you. In fact, I, um, when I was on that team, I could travel up to 50, 50 of 52 weeks a year. That was the agreement. And so when my wife got pregnant with Alan, our, you know, our, our baby, I was like, Oh, I'm done. You know, I, I, I want to be home. I want to be able to like determine how long I go out for, because it's one, you know, 10 day deployments. I could still do that, but, yeah. uh, n- nothing like, you know, eight months, 10 months, you know, and you never know, like we were, we would get calls and then, you know, a couple hours later, I was on a plane and be like, well, when are you coming home? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and that was the tempo. And I think it's yeah. really a good call out for decision makers. Like the, that, that gold sword, like that motivator to get back home. Sure. Um, is a good motivator to do good work. And sometimes we always say it's like a young man's game or like we say stuff like, um, you know, it's better if they don't have families, you know, when they go out there. I hear that a lot in an emergency response, especially. I think it's the other way around. I think, mm-hmm. like, if we were able to, if we were all family men or family women, and we were like, okay, how do we become most efficient as humanly possible so we could we could help out most people and go home? Um, that's huge. Um, Absolutely. And, think of the generation that was, that was formed, my three kids, uh, they were all in high school and I went to, went to the high school to say goodbye to them uh, for the world trade center when I was leaving uh, and how it impacted their lives. Two of my sons going into the service, my daughter going on and, and going in for a master's, but uh, it, many families were impacted by that. Uh, and and mm-hmm. those men and women during that time decided to make another calling uh, themselves and, and joining the military and or joining uh, public safety and or mm-hmm. the fire rescue service or going into the hospital work, becoming a, a nurse as they are now. So we see these different events and how it's sparking a generation of, of eight personalities, what would you say, of those that want to go out there. <laughs> so I was always just trying to, to, to teach my kids or to, to show my kids to, to always give back, to be a helper mm-hmm. and not be a taker, uh, not to sit back and expect, but to, uh, to give back in life. Um, I'm an immigrant, so it was easy to come and You're an and immigrant? Where, where are you an immigrant from? I came from Cuba. I came from Cuba as a young boy. Oh, interesting. And yeah, I'm, uh, 
all the uh, things that you're reading now on on the change of governments and <laughs> and early, early young young man and young woman indoctrination mm. is is a real thing. And, why why am I just finding about this now? We have to we yeah. have so many topics to get you back on the show. I had a I. I can always tell when somebody's popular because I get people like reaching out to me like, oh, can you have them come back on and talk about this? You're going to come back on. You're going to head to an entire episode on Oklahoma City. You're going to come back and talk about 9-11. You're going to come back and talk about JJ, which is a hero and a patriot. And you're talking about giving more than you receive. You gave too much. Um, you, you can come back on the show and talk about so many really important things, things that I care about things that I know my listeners care about. Man, I'm getting so emotional. I got usually I'm able to separate that. But thinking about my daughter and thinking about my son. And uh, that's okay cuz I do that I do that still to this day. Um just uh, the other for uh, September 11th I uh, did a little article for the local newspaper here and as I was speaking to the the the, the writer, the the editor, um uh, you get choked up just uh, cuz it's still uh it can be fresh. You can make it as fresh as you want. Yeah. Um continue to heal and navigate the storms and uh, they just help you to, to be a better navigator and help those out there now uh, there's so many young guys and girls out there that are getting into this uh, at work um, I get to hear them I get to talk to them um, sitting on the uh, state urban search and rescue medical work group mm-hmm. listening to their responses back on them wanting to get out the door they haven't got out the door and us not wanting that young generation to get burned out on not being able to respond, but to hold in there and know that unfortunately there will be a time for their response for them to be able to use their knowledge and experience. Yeah. There's um, what I say is like, there's a lot of people in our field who were kind of broken because we're able to separate that emotion and people are like, Oh, that's weird that you're able to like turn that off so easily, turn off that emotion so easily. And I would actually, I would, I have learned that in some atmospheres that could be wrong or not be wrong. That's some atmospheres that could be a hindrance. But in this atmosphere, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you're in the military or you're a first responder already, like you're in a firefighter capacity or you're on a cert team because you did it with your you know, university. We have a lot of those. Like if you're out there and you're like, man, like uh, I'm not a very emotional person, that's probably very, very good for this field. And um, to, to I like how you said navigate the storms because there will always be storms. And what I found... Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I had to deal with um, the loss of life and um, on, a, on a professional level, I'd already dealt with that on a personal level. And I was able to help out some of my, some of my team members just because they're like, they hadn't dealt with that before. You know, the younger guys, we had an intern like that. And um, it just shows you like, we're in an ever evolving world. We're in a world of mortality. People, you know, there, there's a, we shouldn't be surprised that there's a lifespan here and yet it is impactful. And to be able to share those experiences, talk about the psychology of it or the spirituality of it. Um, even, uh, I don't get Absolutely. that on, on that too much on the show, but it's, uh, very deep for me. Yes, me too. Um, Joe, I'm so for my listeners who don't know, this is kind of how we got Joe on the show. I reached out to a friend of mine who does, 
who does more of the tech stuff for uh, search and rescue. And I said, Hey, like we're, we're, I'm trying to find somebody with a ton of experience. I know a lot of guys, but I want somebody with, uh, as an expert, he's like, Oh, get Joe on here. And so, um, I, I'm so glad we had you on this show. I, I want to get you back, but we're at an hour now. And so like, I, I'm like, man, we gotta, we gotta do this again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And his, his development of his cameras, he's always reached out to the response entity, us and others to make a better product. Yeah, so it sounds like it. On, on mm-hmm. real quick, the Oklahoma City bombing, divorce yeah. rates went over 800%. Interesting. Because of the, the stress of the event caused a breakdown. And- into the firefighters. And what we're seeing also is um, uh, firefighters right now, the, the, their suicide rate um, has superseded uh, the suicide rate for police officers um, significantly. And their suicide rate presently supersedes the line and death uh, rate as we speak. And so they're almost hand in hand there with uh, our soldiers that are returning and airmen and sailors that are returning and uh, trying to find out. So I, I'm hoping you had said an interesting word about the hardness and or can you separate the two or can you put up a wall? And it's an interesting concept because I don't know if those individuals are the hardened ones that are unable to reach out and eventually harm themselves. And so it'd be a great topic, great show to come back and uh, get some other listeners out involved and some other professionals and see what we can do for uh for emergency responders out there. I would love to do that. In fact, um, as soon as this is done recording, let's talk about uh, coming on the show and specifically talking about reaching out to that community. Um, uh, uh, even myself, a guy who kind of prides himself at to be able to do the dark humor and laugh at the same time he's doing a response. Even myself, I have to do the, all those mental checks to go through yeah. because... You can you can completely go through the mud and think you're fine, but the yeah. normal the normal biological reactions that are happening with your body to deal with all that stress that you're putting away. Um, I I used to joke around like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna bury it really really deep, you know. See what happens. See what happens to your hair color. <laughs> it turns white. <laughs> I my wife has been pulling out white hairs. Um, talking I, I, my hair drastically changed after the world trade center began to change really interesting, interesting. yeah, yeah that's, that's, the wisdom was coming out uh, you, it yeah. became light black <laughs> yeah um, and the ang- and the anger was there too unfortunately yeah i have a punching bag i have a punching bag in my garage a, a hun- you know a heavy bag and i agree that when people are like, "Oh, you should punch a pillow," that is the worst idea. It's just so fluffy. It's, it doesn't work. You got to get a heavy bag. Uh, punching my steering wheel, all those kinds of stuff. You know what, though? You're talking about um, divorce rates. My wife is yeah. my, by far my best friend, and uh, I had people. Our divorce rates are really high for any kind of response because if you sure. just go, it's it's it puts a lot of tax. I had somebody ask me one time, like. Like you always talk about your wife, that like she sounds like so great, blah blah blah. Like, why is it good? I was like, I call my wife without fail every single night, and yep. he was like blown away by that. He was like, every yep. single night, and then it was not only three days later. Somebody was joking around, 
like, oh, I get to deploy to get away from my family. And I immediately respond was, that's the worst part of being a responder is like having to go away from your family. And yeah. again, the guy approached me and was like, dude, you're like hardcore. I'm like, that is why I have a good marriage because there's, there's nobody more in life that I'm going to share more with. And she's not a responder. She doesn't like that kind of stuff. She doesn't like to talk about like the, you know, but it, to have somebody that you can say, this is my normal with, mm-hmm. um, the other stuff is not normal. You know, a building's collapsing. That's not normal. You yeah. know, uh, that comes from poor building codes or that comes from crazy disasters or, or yeah. evil people as we talked about. Yeah. Um, and you've been married for 40 years. It sounds like you have quite a bit of advice there too, but. It's, it's phenomenal. There's one of the pictures I sent you at the World Trade Center where I'm on the uh, steel and I'm just taking a break for a minute. I took my mask off and I'm on my cell phone and I was talking to my wife. I was asking her to pray mm. over some of the feelings that we were having and some of the issues that we were having. And uh, it was somebody had captured that, one of the structural engineers. And it was like, it's a piece in time because it was a moment that I stopped what I was doing just to be able to reach out to my significant other and get that help and fill my tank up per se and go back to work i love that fill your tank up and you you, again we have like so many good things that you i I was thinking about i was going to like name this episode possibly like um the uh the the egg salad sandwich of usar but now i don't know what to name it because you've given me so many good quotes uh joe thanks again for coming on the show for talking about your experiences for for talking about your son jj again uh, I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that, and I, I thank you um, seriously for that. Um, I, I apologize that I didn't know. I, I wish I would have known that. Um, That's okay. Thank you, and thank you for knowing because there's so many people that uh, don't, don't know what that means, uh, even very high-ranking people that don't know what that means. That's, so. That would be embarrassing. Um, it was very, yeah. But again, I, I, take, I take it really seriously. Like I said, I had this flag up in my office, and I still believe despite the world trying to change it, I still believe it means unity and becoming better and trying to do the best. We are still Absolutely. states, United States. We're trying to like come together. So um, I, re- I highly respect your experience and, and the advice you've given. Uh, Joe, again, is, a, is an instructor now. Uh, he, thank you for instructing other people. Thank you for coming on here and sharing some of those points. And so the, the very last three questions I have actually for you, I have three questions because I can't get away from this. We call it rapid fire, but you know, I don't even want to do rapid fire with you. I just want to talk to you for a, a long time. But uh, the first question is, is the you and you SAR redundant? Should we get away from saying you SAR and just say SAR? What is your feeling on that? Uh, it, it, it separates the two in that SAR kind of tends to have that wilderness aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the urban search and rescue and how it was developed and why it was developed. It was de- developed for heavy concrete, um, confined space, structural, mm-hmm. and that component. You know, 80-member team with a couple million dollars in equipment and being able to do that. And so that stayed there. However new hat came on with hurricanes and we learned how to get in boats and <laughs> be able to be able to float. So things change. You, you can't say, well, these responders, how many responders are you going to take off? Oh no, those are responders. And so just give them another hat and another mission mm. and they adapted real well to it. Uh, 
Um, but we're we're adjust we're adjusting our education side in disaster medical solution to follow that. So excellent, excellent answer. I it's like Seaburny versus Seaburn. I it's like man, I'm just gonna say Seaburn. I don't know. I'm one of those guys. Uh, okay, second question. You've already given a I lot agree. of great advice. For those who are on the emergency management side, who don't do the tactical response, who do the strategic whatever, getting you the logistics that you need in response, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them to work better with the, the tactical teams? Try to understand the component, what they're doing, so that you can work with them or place them in the positions that you want. What are they good at? And what are they bringing to the area as an emergency manager? Um, I, I've been uh, called into several meetings during a lot of this uh, floodwater episodes and the typing of NIMS and the typing of FEMA. And, and you're an emergency manager and you're requesting help from another state mm-hmm. as that state's emergency manager. And so uh, i.e. I belong to this state and I said, sir, we're going to send you four water teams and a logistics team. And as an emergency manager, you're saying, great, and that price is fantastic. And yet there's another team coming from another state or the same state and says, we're going to send you four teams and a logistics team. <laughs> but you look at the price and they happen to be maybe $50,000 more, $10,000 more, or $5,000 more. And so you're hesitant to use the, the higher price. And that's what's happening now with emergency management and bringing resources for disasters to their state. But do you really know what each team is carrying? I know that the FEMA teams carry medical specialists and medical supplies for treatment and care for the members and for the victims. I know that the NIMS teams, and I know a lot of the state teams that don't bring any of that. One of them even said, well, we can just split them with a, with a, with a board. It's, it's like wilderness medicine. I said, no, it's not. You're dealing with an emergency manager. You've told them you were going to be providing services, not bringing boards for splits because you don't have the medical supplies. And so it's really big out there. And uh, during this last hurricane, I'm seeing um, agencies that, you know, everybody's friends because everybody's learning from each other. But now when you're at the grocery store as an emergency manager and you need all of the assets in your town, and your governor is screaming at you and saying, you need these teams here now. And so you know what FEMA's going to send you, but now you're reaching out to all the neighboring states and saying, well, what can you give me? And so as an emergency manager, if you know exactly what you're getting for your dollar mm. and also the assets, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And I'm, I, I just one real quick thing, and, and you can move this around as you want, is there back on your side on emergency management, is there a sense of gross negligence by taking a cheaper team, even though they're farther away, it's going to take them longer to come help my people, but I'm spending less money. I see it happen all the time. Mm. So I, I see states jumping other states of states that could have gotten there quicker, but that state was used because it was a less dollar amount. Uh, as a private guy uh, and but, as an, uh, uh, as a guy who's very confident in my ability and my company's ability to provide emergency plans, we're expensive, but we're also the best. And Absolutely. so that's that's what it comes down to. Like sometimes the price tag does make sense. So that's my pitch. But yeah, there is gross negligence when you care more about money. Like, cause we we did something at cost recently, actually, when because 
they couldn't afford, at the end of the day you need to be able to help people and we want to be able to help people and sure. when i was on the fed side it would drive me nuts when we'd have somebody like well how much does it cost like who cares man we have 12 hours to get this done and you want to debate pennies like this is another. This a lot. This is not going to be a popular idea. But when you have a hundred and twenty-five billion dollar response, the ten thousand versus the eleven thousand dollars that it costs to get supplies in there, just go to whoever's fastest, you know, mm-hmm. most competent, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to edit this out, but I might edit that out because I got sorry, <laughs> yeah. get passionate there. Uh, Absolutely, we can always put it back in somewhere. <laughs> All right, hey, very, very last question again. We're, we're thankful yeah. for that you came onto our show. Uh, you got to come back on. We're going to schedule this immediately after we hang up, actually. But uh, what is the best podcast for emergency management? Disaster tough because because you're responding to all of the needs, ideas, requests. Uh, imaginations that are coming in from all of these people. Mm. They're trying to find a source and, 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 and if the disaster tough is able to give to them, it's a response. It's yeah. disaster tough response. I mean, it's, I appreciate that. It's, it's good. And I'm, I'm really proud that you're put, putting this out there. Be more than happy to give you a whole bunch of other guests uh, to come on there and can share some really interesting uh, concepts uh, from, Absolutely. From the different uh, disciplines, from canine back to rescue, uh, back to management, et cetera. And I think it would uh, would be great for your listeners. I bet our lis- our listeners love when responders come on here. And so I appreciate that. And so we could talk about that too. And I'm sure my listeners are going to be like, yes, please listen to him. Get these people on here. Joe, thanks again. Yeah. Uh, for everybody yeah. who listened to Joe's episode, you got to do a couple things for us for this uh, for our podcast uh, make sure that you, of course, subscribe to it so that you can say thanks. You can uh, give us that five-star rating, which we really, really want. So we appreciate that. If you like the episode, make sure you give us that rating. And you can find out a little bit about more about Joe. Joe gave us some uh, stuff to, to check out. And so we're going to put that on our Instagram page and on our LinkedIn page and on our Twitter and on our Facebook, all the social media stuff. So go to the Disaster Tough podcast for Instagram or Doberman EMG, which is our business, Doberman EMG for LinkedIn and all the other stuff. So you can learn more about Joe. And if you want him to come back on here, send me a message at info at DobermanEMG.com. Again, that's info at DobermanEMG.com.